0: Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Podcast. Today I'm talking with Gary Turner, the MD of HP Ireland. How are you doing, Gary? I'm good, thank you. Good. Tell us a bit about, basically, HP known for innovation. What products can we see in the future that can be innovative from HP? Um...
1: Well, hopefully, you've seen what we kind of talked to this yeah. morning from both the personal systems and a, a print side. Uh, some of the innovation that we're, we're we're driving, the Tango product, yeah, trying to redefine that home printing uh, aesthetics and bringing design to the fore really differentiates that product. Um, the Sprocket, yeah, yeah, how we've brought a whole new way to try and unlock all of those photos captured on mobile phones. Um, has been very successful over the last two years and I think the iteration you're seeing with the new product is again adding new design features but really focused on the usability and and how people share that device and work together with it um, and then on the personal system side bringing that there um, I use sumptuous um, uh, uh, design factor with leather coming yeah. into that kind of Laptop hybrid type product form factor um, is pretty different. Yeah, considering most of us have gone over the last couple of years down the area of kind of metals with machined aluminium, titanium, and all of those kind of wonderful product sets. But actually, this is very retro. It's very classic, bringing leather to the fore in laptop design. Who would have kind of expected it? And not just wrapping it in leather, but actually made of leather yeah. integrated the electronics to circuitry with that leather environment so
0: those kind of different pieces really set us apart I think in terms of that innovation cycle So, like, I guess like Tango you're trying to be like do you with Apple make things that look stylish
1: um, yeah well
0: forget about Apple for a minute if I go back <laughs> to the last couple of years yeah. we've seen ourselves
1: where um, taking design to the core yeah. has really made a difference to our personal systems business now in print other than the sprocket Traditionally, printers have been very, very similar looking. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of paper trays, yeah, the mechanism itself, the size of it, the scale of it, uh, and we've tried to bring that design to the fore with the um, the Tango product, yeah. really trying to make a different and to get it to sit nicely in someone's home environment where you, you don't want to hide it away. Yeah. You actually, when it's not being used, it. Just
0: looks like part of the furniture yeah. or normal within the environment. Yeah. So, I guess you're kind of like, like a thrower, you want to be stand out and everyone knows HP.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think design has been clear to us over the last couple of years that as all of the tools we have to work with, uh, and remember, you know, motherboards, form factor, processor yeah. speeds, you know, we work with Intel and other providers for those types of pieces. The design area is where we really, really, really get to innovate as a vendor ourselves. Yeah. And
0: it's become a core competence and,
1: and really an element that we try to excel at.
0: Yeah, another at the moment you've into stuff like, like uh, Sprocket's opening back for you and you're very good at, at printing stuff, well, what see a cheap version of a 3D printer for consumers? Mm-hmm. 3D print for consumers? Yeah. Um, well, first off,
1: our focus for 3D is not on the consumer yeah. 3D print end. Uh, you're not going to see us investing in that arena. What we're really trying to do is bring 3D print into the mainstream for yeah. production ready manufacturing type environments. Yeah. Um, the cost of the products that we sell are aimed at very much that core manufacturing traditional kind of uh, production environments, yeah. not the consumer. So, consumers not really a place where you're
0: going to expect to see HP play. Yeah. Very much we're focused on that commercial application of three D printing. Yeah, because earlier when you talk about metal printing as well, mm-hmm. which yes, it's going to be something interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. We think three D uh, is going to be a
1: hugely disruptive technology. Three uh, D print specifically for that manufacturing segment. Now, today, we're able to do it different polymers and plastics. And we've pretty much outlined a roadmap where we'll take product to market in 2020 that brings metals to the, to the stage. That becomes very, very, very disruptive yeah. for lots of different use cases. Um, and we see places today, you know, there's um, uh, companies producing prosthetics yeah. uh, today with our 3D print. Uh, we've got uh, products being produced for some of the likes of Airbus. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of wing maintenance uh, packages, are printed in a 3D environment. So we think that the 3D portion, as we bring metals, totally expands the usability uh, and opens up the market segment to
0: really, really go and disrupt that. In, yeah, saw in two years time, there's a car built only from 3D printed parts. Yep, yeah,
1: yep. Yeah. So I, we're, we're working today with lots of the major yeah. car manufacturers. Uh, we work today with pretty much all of the major um, uh, material providers for that 3D marketplace today. We're working with a lot of supply chain outsource manufacturers who deliver manufacturing on behalf of other entities yeah. uh, in ways in which we believe that the 3D print is going to totally disrupt their industries. And they're looking at use cases for, as you just described, in car manufacture, we well, Think of the aftermarket and the, the spare parts holding you have to have. Yeah. If that could become an on-demand model, it very much changes the cost dynamics of how much you
0: need to invest to have the right spares in the right places. Because right years ago, Toyota invented invested just-in-time Kanban for their their logistics. And mm-hmm. if you can do that with printing, print-on-time, so when they go to get a part, there's no sort of solution at all, the printer's there. And if you want to, you can after the part to be delivered and you get it probably the same day the next day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't matter whether it's the version 6 part, or if you think of it, um, in a 3D world where the limitation is no longer in what you create with the product, we're looking at ways in which, as you print, you're able to embed electronics Mm -hmm. within the part. Well, now in a connected world where the device, the car isn't just connected, but actually every part is connected and and reporting back performance. You then got a whole lot of machine learning and data analytics that's kind of looking at, well, the parts doing this, thousands upon millions of parts reporting back. You start to get in a world where you're doing refinements for revisions of new products as you go. So now you're always making sure that you've got the very latest that's printed is the very latest version with all the updates that were required. Instead of one that was produced five years ago, that's been sitting on a shelf somewhere and is going to be installed but it doesn't have all the benefits
0: of the new product. So it's, it's going to change everything in terms of the dynamics of how, how parts production is done. And also in a way in theory there's a part future, if you want to update your car you can just get a new part that you update it and put it in. Yep, uh, and you've also got the ability to
1: apply colour to it. Yeah. So we're able to apply colour at different layers as we go. So if you think of, you know, uh, is it thread? Down at a level where it needs to be replaced. Yeah. Well, actually, once the colour is now showing, it's clear. Yeah, it's visible. The colour showing, the part needs to be replaced. Even things as simple as that. So even if you don't have sensors embedded and electronics embedded, you can do really clever things. You can also look at um, how do you make sure that the products being used are authentic and original yeah. instead of a counterfeit or some type of rough copy. Well, actually, if you're able to print within it, you know unique identifiers. Yeah. So whether it's things that will show up under the UV light, so not just the serial number, but things on the UV light, or potentially, again, electrodes within it that will identify as being something original, it starts to again change the dynamic. So there's lots and lots of use cases where this is, I, I think personally, is going to disrupt very much the global supply chain. And also it'll cut down, the co- bring the cost
0: down to the, the parts.
1: Well, one is costs for yeah. sure. The other is sustainability. Yeah. If you think of it, you know, you um, know, the industrial revolution that started with the uh, the well, I guess printing press was one. Yeah. Uh, prior to that was really the loom. Yeah. Yeah. And how that kind of Midlands of the UK became that kind of uh, manufacturing hub yeah. for textiles. Uh, as those innovation cycles came along, and then technology and mass production came to the fore. All of a sudden, it changed everything and allowed new geographies or new economies in the world to really step up and compete against the we call it the production house that was the Midlands of the UK. Yeah. These days, Midlands of the UK had its own has its own set of challenges about how does it compete in that global landscape versus you know emerging geographies in the world where labour is lower, production costs are much lower, but you still have to ship the product all the yeah. way around on the globe. Well, actually, if you can get manufacturing much closer to where products are consumed, the sustainability aspect and the impact on the, the environment goes away. down. You don't have ships sailing all around the world delivering products. You don't have trucks having to move all over around the kind of Europe. You make it as and when you need it and at the point where it's consumed. It's going to have big implications
0: for that kind of future sustainability. Yeah, I'm aspect. thinking also Brexit, if you want to import parts now, you can just print them off. Well, it's probably one of those um, analogies
1: of kind of if I look to the future and uh, how new technology disrupts and provides those kind of game-changing environments yeah. where you know economies can can take a leap forward. I think you're going to find um, the likes of Africa versus some of the Southern America countries versus some of the Asian countries all looking at does this offer a new opportunity for them to leapfrog and go beyond the physical bounds that other countries have had to go through to get to be a a kind of global powerhouse in some level of the new kind of... call it a digital world. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's 3D print, whether it is data analytics, machine learning, whatever it is, I think it offers a whole new... and, And it's going to be
0: hugely disruptive. Yeah. Who the winners will be, time will tell. Yeah, and also last year you took you took Lenovo become the largest PC company. This partly helped by your own your own your gaming computers. Are they going to be uh, probably your biggest sellers?
1: Um, no, I don't think it's
0: all down to, or it will be
1: all down to just own um, or the gaming sector. Look at gaming, we identify yeah. it as a real growth area, um, both with. Uh, you know, a lot of gamers design their own PCs yeah. because of the limitations they felt with traditional PC. Um, we've brought a whole lot of featured benefits to that space in design and, and uh, performance that is resonating very much with that gaming community. Uh, and they also tend to spend significantly more on their PC yeah. for performance than a traditional PC user. So it's a vitally important segment of the market. It's growing, I think it will continue to grow, I think virtual reality will, will continue to add to it as people engage in that immersive type way of gaming. So it's a key part of the future. But by no means is it the, the only place. I think we continue to look at the PC market as a whole uh, and look at what we kind of call heat maps. Yeah. Of where are the, the segments that are really showing growth? Because if, if I take a step back and look at the total PC market, it's relatively flat. Yeah. So it's not as if it's growing. So therefore, you've got to look for where the heat maps are. I think what we talked earlier about the folio type product yeah. lends itself to, in a certain segment, we think that type of product will, will continue to blossom and grow. I think the Spectre as a whole, as a range, in that premium category has a lot of room for growth. Yeah. Um, I think this, the workstation business is one that also will continue to grow because the needs of that community to, for design, for video, for publishing. Yeah. It's just continuing to grow. And the more that AR and VR type technologies come in, it puts more stress on the PC for more power. So that workstation category is going to be absolutely key for the future as well. But I think mainstream will continue to grow. if And we can grow if we continue to drive the innovations we've shown. Um, light, you know, long battery life, uh, really, really cool aesthetics, um, products that people... I won't call them, with the folio, it's, core, it's kind of lost after because it is that classic retro. Yeah. But in general, the performance we're seeing out of all the pro- portfolios has been kind of lifted the whole category overall. So I don't think it's only gaming, yeah. but gaming is is a, is a big constituent part.
0: We think there's more growth across loads of different Well, stores. for me, when I saw today, Agent hours back life, that to me impressed me so much.
1: Again, it's a demand yeah. that users have. So go back to they want light. Yeah. They want... Available on the go, yeah. So that it's light, yeah. but actually has good, strong battery life. Yeah, some of the new developments and processes have certainly helped with that. I think us in our design form factors has also helped, taking weight out of the product itself, looking at unique ways to do cooling, um, design of the motherboards. So everything we've been finding, even the screen developments. So more and more and more has been deliver higher performance. Uh, at a comparative cost and at the same time building in all the features that people want slim, sleek, light, you know, products that look really cool and
0: good and at the same time have really strong performance. And battery life is a key portion of that. Because yeah, for me, years ago, we got a laptop, you get maybe four hours uh, at a max. I remember going to conferences with a laptop and where to find a plug.
1: Yeah, yeah. my
0: car will not last for 10 12 hours, but I think get 18 hours that's very, very, that's that's William. Impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it has been the holy grail because this mobility aspect is key. Yeah, yeah. So able, e- even in an office environment, very few people are sitting at the desk all day. Yeah, they pick the product up, they walk into a meeting room, they maybe have a coffee with somewhere with somebody, and kind of they're having some interaction on a design side or a new business model or what's the latest and greatest performance of their own products or services in market. So it, it demands a product that works not
0: just for the whole day but actually has time beyond that for, for usage and for me if you're going around and you forget your power pack to plug it in at least 18 hours you don't have to with that well it, it, it kind of yeah it becomes less of a, a worry or a concern yeah, yeah and
1: always available and I think typically I would say uh, well 18 hours is
0: probably one and a half to two days yeah. work for anybody these days because so yeah I've had years ago when I had a little laptop and I was going to conferences and I have to carry a power pack and it was so healthy and bulky. Nowadays, I don't have to work with that. I can sit anywhere once. And uh, 10 hours is great. But if you can get 18 hours, that's going to give you two days. That's even impressive. But also, been able to do fast charge. Yeah.
1: So when it does go low, but have been actually able to do a really fast charge that gets it to about 50 60%. Yeah. That's also a big feature that a lot of people are looking for these days. You know? So it's lasts as long as it can. But at the same time, when I do have to do a charge... I wanted to do fast charge and get there really fast. So, yeah. if you can get to 67% performance in power within a very short window, like a 30-minute
0: window, that's a little that's, yeah. tons a lot of people as well. That's the reason that's going to be useful because I've seen it with certain phones, your phone and give you fast charge to 60%, so you need to keep it going for next few hours. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <coughs> yeah. And also, uh, that's pretty <coughs> impressive. But also, uh, as well, your desktops and uh, laptops use windows as an OS... Will this change that Would you go to Linux as well or just keep Windows only?
1: Uh, well,
0: first of all, we're not Windows only. Yeah. Um, we released a whole range of Chromebooks
1: yeah. to the market. Um, we have done some Linux products in the past. So we did do some stuff with Ubuntu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a very niche type segment and certain things people require. We work really hard to make sure that the products with yes. all of the drivers and all the things that go with it work really well in that Linux environment. Um, but for now I think it'll be very much the, the Windows the, um, the Chromebook type environment yeah. uh, and as again I think what we talked about earlier today we're very driven by what customers are looking for um, if we see more and more demand coming from customers for those types of product sets that incorporate Linux for sure yeah. we'll kind of develop that but we'll make sure our products today work really well in a Linux environment um, but we'll stick with Windows and the Chromebook environment. I guess take what you know say. best. Yeah, pretty much so. Pretty much so. And that type of Linux user is a pretty sophisticated user that knows what it is they want. Yeah. Um. So they'll typically buy the form factor they need, and then deploy it themselves and get it up and running. Kind
0: of like gamers as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, they're
1: yeah probably so not. Not too dissimilar.
0: Yeah. Because I'm thinking when when a gamer wants laptop, he's configuring to his own needs. The same with Linux user. Yeah. It's you can get refinements. Yeah, and they've always. The it's like it's like. Buying a supercar yeah. and then
1: actually being able to really tweak it to perform yeah. at the peak of what you want yourself. So again, those type of users know what they want and are really working with it. Um, but Linux for us will be one that we keep our eye really closely on. If it becomes something that a lot of customers are looking for, absolutely we'll come to market with those products.
0: Uh, I guess. Anything
1: we have the podcast? Uh, no, I, I said thank you for taking the time today, Cummins members I hope you've seen uh, through the products. The types of design innovation that we're doing, yeah, and um, the direction we're going from both a print and a personal system standpoint, you've seen some unique things with where we're bringing leather back into the the um, the portfolio yeah. with the uh, the folio uh, and at the same time, uh, I hope that we've kind of given you
0: at least a. a a little insight as to where we think the business yeah. is going to go in the next 12, 18, 20 years. You have, because you've always been a company that's been innovative over the years. Mm-hmm. Since it started in the 1930s, you've always bought out new things like oscillators, electronic calculators, printers, yeah. and you've always done things differently. And today, what you're doing is, again, it's always an innovative.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think that's what we've tried to do with the new company in the last three years is embrace that heritage, yeah. which is you know, a company that started in the garage in Palo Alto. Um, in 1939, that developed the product, the oscillator, as yeah. you're, you're mentioning, for another innovator, which was Disney. Yeah. So first customer for HP was uh, Walt Disney. Yeah. So it's taken that heritage and all those years of all the things that HP have done, uh, right the way up as you said. We were the first ones to bring what what was called the electronic slide rule, that yeah. actually is the calculator, as you call it. Um, all of those pieces to try and bring that mindset of innovation and really trying to find the unique ways to innovate, and bring products to market. Yeah, I've always so
0: seen you guys as basically uh, like a startup, because mm-hmm. when you start off, you start off in a garage. And you remember years ago, see Jobs as a kid, he wanted to build something. He wanted to HP and got spread parts. He said, "Yeah, fine, no problem at all." And when he started off, he did it in a garage as well. He copied. Well, you Steve guys. Jobs did his internship. In yeah, HP. Mm-hmm. yeah, and but he copied you. You, you, you guys now, I'm going to start in a garage. And that's basically where you're thinking.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I think the HP, the Bill Hewlett and Dave Parker yeah. weren't just innovators in product or business models. They were actually innovators in, uh, if I look at, they launched employee purchase programs. So they wanted employees to have stock purchase yeah. as part of their, their business. That was in the 40s and the 50s, mm. right? It wasn't known. Yeah. At the time. Uh, they looked at, you know, the, there were three stakeholders to them. Their employees, their shareholders, and the customers, yeah, and ev- everything they were doing had to appeal against those three core areas. Um, so I would say they were innovators in so many different ways. Yeah, they, yeah. they innovated the whole concept of management by walking around, yeah, or MB, uh, MBWA open door policy, yeah. open door policy, uh, and even diversity. Uh, you know, HP these days is very much championing uh, diversity, as uh, and it's not just a male female thing, um, it's all aspects of yeah. diversity. Uh, and, and in doing so, so HP has always been innovators beyond just the product, uh, and you know it, it's interesting the point you make yourself and how HP kind of resonates for you, knowing the history and the background. So we're pretty proud of what's been done. The products are one thing, but ultimately I think that the heart and soul of the company has always been that innovation engine. So it's trying to continue to make that work for us. All right, great. Thanks so much for that. Okay. Thanks.